Welcome to Schweitzer Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us for worship today. If this is your first time joining us, we want to give you a very special welcome. If you'll check in with us and give us your name and an email address, this coming week we will send you a gift card and the coffee is on us. This is week one of our new sermon series, Fruit of the Spirit. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for all of us. And speaking of the sermon, you'll find discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's some important announcements for all of us. Hello, welcome to Schweitzer Church. We are so glad you're here. I'm Corey Lucivo, Director of Connections. We are one week into the fall semester and we hope you found a group or class to be a part of. If not, we still have a spot for you in any of our open groups or classes. We have opportunities for all ages, including young adults and a new middle school Bible study for fifth through eighth graders on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. You can find more information at schweitzer.church groups or pick up a flyer at the groups table after the service. Also, don't forget to order your Chick-fil-A meal for Wednesday night programs no later than 3 p.m. this Tuesday. This week, we will begin a new session of Alpha. Alpha is a great place to explore your faith and ask questions. For many, Alpha has been a turning point in their spiritual walks. And now, here's Aline and Mike, who are helping with Alpha this fall, to share more. Hello, my name is Mike Van. This is my wife, Aline, and we just wanted to share a bit with you today about our experience with Alpha. Go ahead. So we were introduced to Alpha during COVID, actually. And so, like so many people, we were feeling really disconnected at that point. So it was such a blessing to have the opportunity to go through Alpha. And we just loved it. It was just what we needed at the time. And the thing that I also really liked about Alpha was it was a safe place to ask your questions. Because I know for me, I've always had questions um, no matter where I've been on my faith journey. And so I just really appreciated a safe space to ask questions to know that I wasn't alone, that other people had questions too. Absolutely. One of the things that I really liked about it is that in our group that we had, there were people of all levels of faith, whether it was a, a, a new believer or a believer of 50 years plus. And uh, it was a great way to get different perspectives. And, and everyone has questions no matter where you are in your faith journey. We all have questions. And this is a great way to ask and get those questions answered and share perspectives uh, with, with a wide variety of folks. And uh, we really enjoyed it. I think you will too. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on Tuesday nights. Thanks for sharing with us. Alpha begins this Tuesday at 6 p.m. in the Student Center. It will start with a meal, followed by a video and discussion. Stop by the Blue Booth today to let us know you're coming, or learn more at schweitzer.church alpha. There are so many things happening around Schweitzer this fall. A great way to learn more and see a list of upcoming opportunities is by picking up a copy of this fall's Spark Magazine. You can find these at the Blue Booth or around our campus. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Now, let's continue in worship. Thanks for those great announcements. I want to remind you that you're welcome to join us for any or all of these great things that are happening right now at Schweitzer Church. You can find more information about all of these events online at schweitzer.church next. 
If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you find yourself in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you right now in the prayer room. Just click that prayer button and we'll be right with you. And now, let's continue in worship. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then north and south and east and west We'd hear Christ be magnified And were the whole earth echoing His eminence his name would burst from sea and sky From rivers to the mountaintops We'd hear Christ be magnified And oh, Christ be magnified his praise arise, Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified in the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. When every creature Finds its inmost melody And every human heart is native cry Then wonder should hear praise We hear Christ be magnified Oh, Christ be magnified cross brings transformation and I'll be crucified with you cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life and if I join you in your sufferings then I'll join you when you rise 
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we talk to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this opportunity to be a part of worship today. We thank you for the people that make this online service possible, that give us a chance to come together and hear the word and to worship. God, as we explore today the fruit of the Spirit, we wanna remember the great love that you have shown for us. The sacrifice of your son on the cross is greater than any love we have ever known. And then we think of 1 Corinthians 13 that reminds us that love is patient and kind and, and we wanna be like that, God. So we ask your inspiration, we ask your blessings on us so that we might show your love to all the world. What a joy it is to represent you, to, to honor you with our gifts of love and care to other people. And God, we lay our concerns today at your feet. We know that there are many people who are weighed down with worries and, and concerns about things in their lives that are beyond our control. God, we know you've got this. So we're gonna give those things back to you and we're gonna take a deep breath and just enjoy the fact that we don't have to walk through this life alone. We thank you for your love and your care. And now God, we wanna to pray together that prayer that your son gave us, saying together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, it's my joy to share with you something that happened just recently here at Schweitzer Church. 
With the beginning of school and our partnering school, Pittman Elementary, we wanted to do something very special for these students. So our congregation got together and we collected school supplies for over 200 backpacks. And every single student at Pittman Elementary was presented with a backpack full of school supplies. Every single item that they needed for the school year was included in that backpack. There's not a kid in that school that has to worry about whether or not they have a pencil or the right crayons or markers because our congregation wanted to reach out and do something very special. All of these things happened because of your generosity. And I want to tell you about one of the parents in particular. She said because of those backpacks, we were able to buy school shoes for our kids instead of having to buy school supplies. Once again, it's because of your generosity that things like this can happen. I want to remind you that you can give online at schweitzer.church give. Thank you so much for supporting these community outreach ministries and so many other things that happen in and through Schweitzer Church. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with our very first week of Fruit of the Spirit. Friends, welcome today. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Spencer, and today we're going to start a brand new series called The Fruit of the Spirit, where we're going to spend nine weeks on one passage, Galatians 5, 22, and some of 23. So it's like nine weeks on 1.5 verses. We're going to go deep into this. This is a very famous verse. You've been around church. You've probably heard this passage before. It goes like this, Galatians 5, 22, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Very, very famous verse. The plan for the series is really simple. Each week, we're just going to dive deep into one of these words and explore what this looks like and how it is we live into this. So today, to get this started, we're going to talk about love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. In other words, the natural outgrowth of a disciple of Jesus Someone who lives and walks with the Holy Spirit is love. This is the natural thing that, that, that takes place. So what does growth as a Christian look like? Love. What is the target of the Christian life? Love. Like This is what we're aiming for. And I, I think about some of the things that Jesus said. When Jesus, for instance, one day was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus talked about loving our enemies. I mean, love is the target. Love is the goal of the Christian life. Um, and so this is, this is where we are, we are going because, and the, and it's the goal of the Christian life because God is love. That's John chapter four. So the big question becomes, if this is the goal of the Christian life, how do I get there? What, what does this, what does this look like? Because it's one thing to say that the target of the Christian life is love. It's another thing entirely to actually live with the target of your life as love. 
it, it's, it's totally different. So as we think about this and as we explore this, um, we're going to be talking about how does we develop this uh, way of life that is uh, love, um, especially as you think about some of the more difficult people you might have in your life who are more difficult to love. How do we grow into loving those who have hurt us, loving those who have angered us, loving those that we have hard time with? How do we grow into that kind of love? So how do we do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, because this passage on the fruit of the Spirit is not just a list of nine things that all of us want to be more like. This is this is really um, a, a strategy for growth that the Bible gives us as we uh, lean towards our relationship with God. So before we unpack this strategy for growth, though, I want to unpack the anti-strategy for growth. And maybe there's a better way to say that, but that's that's my own words. There's a there's a an anti-strategy for growth that a lot of people. Um, take to not grow. Like the anti-strategy are the steps you would take to not grow, to stay stuck. And the thing about the anti-strategy is that a lot of Christians think that the anti-strategy is actually the strategy. And the result is that there are lots and lots and lots of Christians, people who belong to Jesus, have faith in him, who are just stuck in their life because they don't understand the strategy. So the anti-strategy is found in Galatians 5. Um, we're going to start reading in verse 1. I want to read to you really the whole lead up into um, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. So you can see this, this contrast that Paul gives us about the strategy and the anti-strategy. So here's Galatians 5. We're going to start reading in verse 1, and we're just going to read without commentary, which is hard for me, right through um, the fruit of the Spirit. So you can see how this all fits together. Here's how it goes. Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await for faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works with the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. But you, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have circumcised the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, Galatians is a fascinating book. And, and one of the reasons it's so fascinating to me is that it's, it was one of, it probably is the earliest writing that we have um, from the Christian movement. It's the earliest writing of the, of the New Testament. This book was maybe written in like the mid to late 40s of the first century. So we're talking about 10-ish to 15-ish years after the resurrection. Paul writes this first book that we have in the New Testament. And the reason he writes this, which I find this is so fascinating, is that he is addressing with this book the, like capital T, H, and E, the main controversy of the first generation of Christians, which is pretty interesting in and of itself, that like 15-ish years after the resurrection, there is controversy brewing among these first Christians. And sometimes we look back at the early church and we think, and we look at it like as a golden period, a golden age, but in reality, that church, just like the American church, just like the world church today, is made up of sinful people. And there was controversy then, there's controversy now. And, and the controversy then, the first generations of Christians, was essentially this. Do um, Gentiles who come to faith in Christ have to be circumcised? Now, to be fair, this is really just a question for the men, but this is like the main controversy for the first generation of Christians. And we hear that and we think, well, that's a... That's a weird thing to fight about, but that was the controversy. Of course, for them, it was about so much more than circumcision. As we read through here, we read about that multiple times. You could see the controversy come out. And, and really, it's, it's not about that. It's, about, it's really about something else. Because as you see, um, the first generation of, of Christians were, were basically all Jewish. Paul was Jewish. Peter was Jewish. Jesus, of course, is Jewish. And, and, and Jewish people saw the world in really two terms. There were Jewish people, and then there were non-Jewish people, and they called them Gentiles. And so you had these, these basically two groups of people, and Jewish people looked at the world, they saw themselves as, as separate, unique, as God's chosen people, and so because of this, they had this way of keeping to themselves because they had the covenant that was given to them. They had the Old Testament law. They were children of Abraham, and, and since Abraham on uh, the sign of circumcision had been marked on men's bodies as a sign of belonging to the people of God, that became Israel. Like this is this long history of, of, of what is this. But, but now in the first century emerged these new Jewish Christians who, who saw what it is that Jesus was doing and, and he, they understood that through his death and resurrection that this wasn't just for Jewish people anymore. This was for everybody. And so they start to go out into the world outside of Jewish circles and they begin to tell this good news that, that all of us are invited into the kingdom of God. And they, they start to have these Gentiles who, who begin to believe as well and they put their faith in Christ and this causes all kinds of controversy because other Jewish people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. These new Jew Gentile converts, they're, they're being circumcised, right? They're obeying the Old Testament law, right? This is, this is what they're doing. And, and so this, this controversy started to, to happen and, and Paul was like, well, well, no, they're not because this is not how the gospel works, that, that, that they have to come and, and, and be circumcised. And, and as we're reading about this and thinking about this, this controversy that's developing in the first century, you're starting to see the anti-strategy at work that keeps so um, many people stuck. Because the controversy really that's surrounding circumcision in the Old Testament law was really this, is what do I do with all of the rules that are in the Bible? What is my relationship to all of the rules. And you had essentially had one group that said, everyone who believes in Jesus needs to obey all the Old Testament rules, all 633 of them. 
not just the moral law that Christians still believe is the standard for God to, for us today, but, but also the, uh, the, the ceremonial law, like circumcision and the, and the dietary laws and all these kinds of things. And on top of that, you need to obey the oral law, the oral tradition that puts rules on top of rules. And then, and there's this other group and we call them, you know, the apostles. And they said, no, 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 no. Jesus, what he has done is enough. Uh, what he has done for us is enough. What God has provided for us, his grace, is that, that's how we're saved. And it's through God's grace that we come to relationship with God. It's through God's grace that God works in us. It's through God's grace that we begin to grow. And, and it's God's grace that produces holiness and sanctification and virtue within us. So that so the goal of Christian life isn't just to obey more rules. It's to have a changed character a changed heart, a changed mind, where we begin to see the world, we see ourselves, we see our neighbor, we see God differently. And from the inside, you know, we're changed. Now, this obsession with rules is still alive and well today. I mean, in the church, we have a way of uh, describing this. We have a word that we use to describe when people are obsessed with all of the rules that sometimes come with with living for Jesus. And, And we call that word, we call it legalism. And it's essentially this idea that it is through what we do that um, God blesses us and we have a relationship with him and it becomes very much about us. And this is a, a struggle for lots and lots and lots and lots of Christians. Um, author and pastor John Mark Comer, he's got this like math equation that he's written about to explain legalism. I think it's so good. And it goes like this, that that essentially morale or uh, legalism works off this, this math equation where you take morality and then you add religious stuff, and then you like take away sin, well, that equals God's blessing. Morality plus religious stuff minus sin equals God's blessing. So for instance, you know, morality is like, if you drive the speed limit, and then you do religious stuff, you like you tithe, and you don't gossip, well, then God's gonna bless you. You're gonna have a good relationship with God. That's how, that's how, this, that's how this works. This is the formula for legalism, that the Christian life is mostly about all of the rules and what we do. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book of essays called The Weight of Glory. And his first essay in that book, it's called The Weight of Glory, where the book gets its name. But he starts that essay with this. And I just think they're so wise. He says this. He says, if you asked uh, 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But then he goes on, he says, but if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. Do you see what happened? He says, a negative term has been substituted for a positive. Now what he's getting at here is to say that a majority of people think about being a good person in terms of what we like don't do. This is the, the math equation there. And, and this is, this is an approach when you think about this through the negative, it's like what I don't do. This is the approach of legalism. But the Christian message and Christians have long understood is that we're not shooting for just, you know, being better at not doing things, we're, we're really shooting for something that is deeper in our lives, something that, that transforms us, something that changes our characters. Because the thing about love is that there is no set of rules, there is no set of commandments that is going to produce in yourself love. Now you can, on the outside, maybe do some things that look loving, like being unselfish, but to actually be a person who has love and lives out that value, that is something that has to take place in our character, in our hearts, in our minds. And so Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The natural outgrowth of the Holy Spirit in our life is love. 
There's no amount of human effort that produces this. There's no rule or commandment that, that does this. There's no growth mindset or positive thinking or even therapy that can produce love deep in our hearts and our lives. This is the work of God that he does for us. This is the work of God that changes our character and our minds and our innermost beings so that we produce love. That's why it's a fruit. I think about it like this. What does an apple tree have to do in order to produce apples? Well, the answer is the apple tree just has to be an apple tree. Just by virtue of, of it being an apple tree, it produces apples. And so this is how it works with us that that as we live in Christ and in God's character, what the natural outgrowth is going to be is going to be love. So let's dive down to this. So what, kind, what kind of love are we talking about that the Holy Spirit produces in us? And I ask that question because love is a bit of a problematic word. I mean, there's all kinds of ideas out there from culture and from what we read and think about. And this word is used so broadly, it's an ambiguous, it's almost hard to define. And there's all kinds of misdefinitions out there as well that create problems for people. Like, for instance, when you hear the word love, likely you think about falling in love. You think about romance. And, and how problematic is that term, falling in love? Because it implies that you also fall out of love. And therefore, love is mostly an emotional thing that happens for us. And, and that's incredibly problematic because that has just wrecked people. And they've wrecked families, wrecked marriages. That kind of idea that love is what we feel, it's what we fall into, it's what we fall out of, or... Or, or in other places, maybe maybe if you pay attention, love is sometimes used, and I've noticed it's been used, this word's been used by certain kind of ideological groups where it's almost been co-opted to, to fit partisan political lenses. And so sometimes if you don't affirm certain things, people say that you hate other people, which is just an absurd position because it's really just been co-opted by, by certain political positions. But but if we think about love and we leave aside our cultural baggage and we leave aside, leave aside our biases, what we think this word means, and we leave aside our political partisanship, and we just, we just ask a simple question. What do you think Paul meant when he said the fruit of the Spirit is love? Now, this word love has been translated from the Greek word agape. If you've been around church, I'm sure you've heard that word before. It's very famous. And agape is a word for love that really implies sacrifice and service, and it's other-oriented. Let me give you some examples of this writing in action from Paul's own pen. Romans chapter 5, listen to how he describes this agape. But God demonstrates his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love is sacrificial. Here's another example, Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love, agape of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the agape of God that is in Christ Jesus. So catch that. God's love is constant. God's love is not fickle. It can withstand all kinds of turmoil. Ephesians 2. Because of his great agape for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. This is what God's love has done. It's reached out for us. Ephesians 5, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved agape children and walk in the way of agape. Just as Christ agaped us and gave himself for us, hear this language, Christ gave himself for us, this is what agape does, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Of course, you're going to talk about agape, we have to read one more. This famous, famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have agape, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have agape, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, but 
and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but don't have agape, I, I gain nothing. Love, agape is patient. Love, agape is kind. It does not envy. Agape does not boast. Agape does, is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape never fails. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. The kind of love that the Father has shown us. The, the kind of love that is sacrificial. The kind of love that goes first and is willing to initiate. The kind of love that is willing to set aside what I want in order to serve another. The kind of love that is patient and kind and generous. The kind of love that even seeks the good of my enemies. It's the kind of love that is the natural outgrowth of a disciple of Jesus. So let's get practical. How do you do this? How do you grow into this kind of, of love? And if you can't get there by rules and human effort, there's not a set of commandments that do this for us. So, so what do we do? And so there's a couple of principles I want to offer you today. And I'm not going to go into them super deep today because this is a nine-week series. And we're going to come back to these principles over and over and over again over these nine weeks. Because each one of these um, fruit of the Spirit really falls a lot of these same principles. But the first principle, again, not going very deep in these, but just kind of introducing them, is really, really simple. If you want to grow in this very first and basic fruit of the Spirit, this outgrowth of the Holy Spirit, then you need the Holy Spirit in your life. That's how this is going to work. And so how do you get the Holy Spirit in your life? You ready? I don't know if you know how to get the Holy Spirit in your life. You ask. That's how the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift given to us. So you ask. You ask for the Holy Spirit, God's presence to fill your life, to dwell within you and to empower you to move. And as you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, as you grow in a relationship with Him, as you learn to rely on the Spirit, you spend time in the Word, you seek after the Lord with, with uh, other believers, and, and, and this becomes the pattern of your life. You spend time in His presence. Don't be surprised when love, agape, starts to emerge and grow in your life and, and in your relationships and and especially maybe around difficult relationships that you have. Don't be surprised when, when you find yourself forgiving people who have hurt you. Don't be surprised when you find yourself being willing to be generous in ways that you maybe make you a little bit afraid. Don't be surprised when you find yourself able to, to serve people around you, especially marginalized and poor and people who are in need. Don't be surprised when these things start to emerge within you because as you grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, His character is going to start showing through you. So don't be surprised when you start to see these things bubble up. And this leads me to my second principle that we're going to talk over and over and over again in the series because it's so, so important. That if you're going to live a life where the character of God is coming through you, that's what these fruit of the Spirit are. It's the character of God being reflected in you. Then it's really vitally important that you have a correct understanding of the character of God. Because it turns out how you think about God and what you think about God really, really matters. The great A.W. Tozer once wrote this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm gonna read that one more time. That's such a wise sentence. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous facts about any man 
is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. In other words, we begin to reflect how we think about God, how we think about the world, how we think about our neighbor, how we think about ourselves, like how we think about these things, especially God himself, truly begins to be lived out in the decisions that we make every single day. So if you want to be someone who grows into agape love, you want this to be part of your life, let me just ask you a very basic question. And it's gonna sound so simple, but it's so pivotal to growing towards the character of God within you. So here's the question. Do you believe that God is love? Simple, simple question. Do you believe that God is love? Do you believe that God loves you in particular? Do you believe that God is delighted in you? Do you believe that God enjoys you? Do you believe that God desires to know you and for you to know him? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves your enemies and even loves those who have hurt you? Do you believe that the nature of God is love? I ask that question and I know it's very simple, but, but I ask that question because it is very easy to be a Christian, to affirm the Apostles' Creed, to pray the Lord's Prayer, to come to church and to do religious things, but not actually believe that God is love. What I just described right there, by the way, doing all this religious things, but not believing that God is love, that is the root cause of legalism, which is one of the most common struggles that Christians have, where we believe that God doesn't actually love us, we still have to prove ourselves to him. So do you believe that God is love? And this principle gets worked out in, in so many different ways because as you start to think about your life, as you think about the world and how you interact with people around you, how you interact with, with those who maybe have harmed you or hurt you or people who are difficult to love, as you start to think about these relationships, really as you think about some of the struggles you have in your life, what you're really reflecting on are some of the maybe misconceptions we have about who God is and what his character is like. I mean, this is a good exercise to do. If you think about some of the struggles you have in your life, Start to ask yourself, what do those struggles reflect about what I truly believe about God? I mean, for instance, let's think about a few. Maybe you struggle, I don't know, with unforgiveness. It's a really common thing. Lots and lots of people struggle to forgive those who have hurt them and harmed them, said things about them, caused problems in their life. Very, very common thing to, to struggle with unforgiveness. Have you ever stopped to think to yourself, does that maybe mean that I have some struggles with the way God has forgiven me? What does that say? What, when I can't forgive someone who's hurt me, what does that say about what I believe about God's forgiveness towards me? Or, or you know, let's say um, you have a short fuse and you lose your temper quickly and you find yourself angry a lot. What, what do you think that says about what you believe about what God is like? Or maybe you're cynical and jaded and kind of are aloof from things. You have a hard time maybe engaging with joy and, and this is kind of where you're at right now. What, what do you think that says about what you believe God is like? If you live with a lot of stress and worry and anxiety, what do you think that says about what you believe God is like? Like how we think about God 
It, it matters so deeply because it begins to get rooted out in our lives and lived out in the, in the real decisions that we make, make every single day. So Paul teaches that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Very simply because God is love. God's love for you is unending. God's love for you is sacrificial. God's love for you goes first. God's love for you is constant and will never, ever end. And, and our goal has to be to know this love as the Bible says, the height and the depth and the width and the length of God's love for us. And when we understand and can live into his character, don't be surprised as you see your own heart start to change because what you're doing is you're reflecting the love that God has for you out into the world. Let's pray together. And so Father, today, we start with this simple truth that you are love. Your love for us is so deep, we can't comprehend it. The height and the depth and the width and the length of God's love is for us is so hard to understand, but today, would you give us a glimpse maybe into this? There are some of us who, if we were honest with ourselves, we really struggle with this idea that you love us. This idea that your grace is, is truly free and, and so therefore we have this struggle with legalism or maybe we've got unforgiveness or anger or we've got some other things in our lives we struggle with and if we really start to break that down, some of this is coming because we struggle with this truth that you are love. And so Father, today through your Holy Spirit, would you come and convict us and lead us and encourage us into the truth to seeing who you are and to seeing maybe some of our own lies that we've bought into that we begin can understand that you are love, that you are constant, that you won't fail us, that you delight in us, that you enjoy us, that you desire us. And because of this, we can put our full, complete trust in you. And our goal now is to just to know you, to have fellowship with you, to have friendship with you, that your character might start to live through us. I pray for anyone who's with us today doesn't know this truth that you're love, that you love them in particular, that you gave your own son because of your agape love for them. We just want to pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? A prayer of faith that leads us to the understanding and the experience of God's great love for us. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today for worship. I want to thank all of the team that made this service possible and especially thank Pastor Spencer for his meaningful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, I invite you to like it and share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now I invite you back next week for week two of our sermon series, Fruit of the Spirit. I pray that you have a great week and God blesses you richly.
how the crimson cost You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross An empty slate at the empty grave Thank God that stone